valley we walk through, even if it's a valley of our own doing, of our own folly that caused it, you were still faithful to walk with us, to be with us, always with grace and mercy and goodness that follows us all the days of our lives. As we open up your word this morning, we're going to read a statement you made. And I pray that as we read this statement that applies to all of our lives, that you would remind us in these moments, reassure our hearts, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We thank you for being our comforter, for sending the helper, the Holy Spirit, the greatest comforter of all, who's meeting with us today, indwelling us at this very moment. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 and, and verse 4, as we continue to walk through a series that I've titled Hashtag Blessed, and, and I think that will make uh, some sense to us as we move along. But we're working through a section of Scripture that's called the Beatitudes that occurs at the very front end of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. A lot of scholars have really looked at this sermon from the time aspect, and, and, and they have determined that Jesus' greatest sermon, even if he paused for some inflection or for some emphasis, that it probably only took him three to five minutes to preach the most famous sermon he ever preached. And I don't know what scholars figured that out, but I hope they got fired after they figured it out. Because church members got a hold of that, and they're like, Pastor, if Jesus' best sermon was three to five minutes, why don't you follow suit? My response is, I ain't Jesus. <laughs> and so as we look at Matthew chapter 5 and we think through this idea of living a blessed life, everyone desires to live a blessed life, but the way blessing is defined varies. The world, our culture, has a definition of what it means to be blessed that is very different than that of Jesus. In fact, judging from our culture, judging from the way things are around us, we would conclude, if that was the only thing we looked at, was everything around us in our culture, we would conclude that living in a state of blessedness means that you have a lot. You've got a lot of possessions, you have a lot of influence, you have a lot of education, you have a lot of ability, you have a lot of power, you have a lot of recognition. And, and in that context, <coughs> becoming blessed is really reduced down to, to nothing but a hashtag to self-promote and to humble brag. From this perspective, from our culture's perspective, being hashtag blessed is all about the external. It's all about what you have. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, offers a different perspective of what it means to be blessed. 
In fact, he takes and turns everything that people thought they knew about being blessed on its head when he issues several statements about what it means to be blessed. In fact, every week that we walk through these verses, we're going to read these statements even after we've looked at one like last week. We're still going to look at at verse 3 again this week. Let's read the text, Matthew chapter 5. Look at these Beatitudes. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be happy, and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now look, Scripture clearly teaches that being blessed can involve physical, material things. Jesus in the Beatitudes helps us see that being blessed also involves the spiritual condition of our hearts before God. Look, if God has seen fit to bless you with things, if God has seen fit to give you influence, if God has seen fit to give you ability and skills, if God has seen fit to give you an abundance of material possessions, then yes, you can rightly say that you are blessed. However, those things are not what makes you hashtag blessed. The blessing is not in the content of what you have have. The blessing is your relationship with the one who gives you the blessing. The blessing is not what it is. The blessing is who it is from. And Jesus says that you can be blessed without having a penny to your name if your heart is where it needs to be in relationship with God. The beatitude we're going to look at today makes absolutely zero sense in our culture and in our minds. Look again at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, happy are those who are sad, for they shall be comforted. Does anything about that statement sound weird to you? Happy is the sad. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn. Two emotions 
that we rarely join together. Mourning, sadness, tears are one of the universal experiences of life. Every single person, regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of religion, regardless of education, regardless of income, regardless of of the place where they live, regardless of, of the type of residence they have, regardless of their job situation, every single person in this room, in this world, will mourn and they will shed tears throughout life as they mourn. Everyone mourns, but not everyone is comforted. Living a blessed life means that when you mourn, <coughs> you find comfort from the hand of God. I want to give you a case study. And a case study <coughs> for this, excuse me, is, is the life of David. David knew what it was like to go through times of difficulty. David knew what it was like to feel helpless and hopeless and despondent. David knew what it was like for his back to be against the wall, to be between a rock and a hard place. David knew that all too well. A lot of the Psalms he wrote show us that. In fact, in Psalm 55, the verses being on your screen, <coughs> look at what he said. He said in Psalm 55, verse 4, he said, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and the horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. You thought that came from Forrest Gump, didn't you? You thought Jenny was the one who came up with that. It's actually David. He said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. If you'd make me a bird, God, I would fly far away. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the woods. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest God if you would just give me wings I would love to fly out of this situation where there is so much trouble and so much hurt and so much pain he knew about mourning but in the exact same psalm he shows us where he found his comfort because in verses 16 and 17 of that same psalm David said that in his distress but I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And look at what he said. He hears my voice. David's receiving comfort was from the fact that God heard his voice. That doesn't mean that everything that would cause David to mourn all of a sudden went away, but David found comfort in the fact that God heard his voice, that in the midst of everything else he was going through, in the midst of all the troubles he faced, God listened to his voice, and the fact that God was listening to him brought him a measure of comfort. And David's receipt of that comfort as a result of his mourning can be the experience of every follower of Jesus as we think about the testimony of our tears. That's the title of our message today, the testimony of tears. And I want to walk you through just a few aspects of that testimony that will help us understand how those who mourn are indeed blessed because they are comforted. You ready? Doesn't matter if you're not, we're going to anyway, all right? First, 
The first testimony, tears are a testimony to the difficulties of life. <coughs> tears are a testimony to the difficulties of life. Your New Testament is written in a couple of languages, Greek and Aramaic, and, and in the New Testament there are nine different verbs that are used when the Bible talks about grief. That is a strong indication that grief is a part of life Tears are a part of life. Mourning is a part of life because difficulties are part of our lives. It is normal to experience grief. It is normal to mourn because it's normal to experience difficulties. Jesus said this in John 16, he said, in the world you will have tribulation. Or how about Job chapter 14 and verse 1? Can we all give a testimony to this today that Job said, man who is born of woman has got a few days, but his few days are full of trouble. That tears are a testimony to the difficulties of life. The Bible is full of instances where people mourned because of difficulties. In Genesis chapter 23 and verse 2, Abraham wept when his wife died. In Psalm 42 verses 2 and 3, the psalmist cried out and wept and mourned because he could not sense God's presence. There was a young preacher by the name of Timothy who was involved with the ministry and the people were becoming such a discouragement to him and the situation was so difficult, was so difficult for him that according to, to 2 Timothy 1, 3, and 4, he wept over that discouragement and over that difficulty. Paul was so consumed and concerned over some Christians in Ephesus that Acts 20, 31 tells us he wept over them. When Jesus died, Mary Magdalene, John 20, 11, wept because he died. Tears of loneliness, tears of discouragement, tears of concern, tears of pain. We cannot deny, nor should we deny, that our tears are a testimony to the fact that life is difficult. When we experience those difficulties, like David in Psalm 55, we should call to God with the assurance that he hears our voice, and when God is listening, there is comfort. So our tears are a testimony to the difficulties of life, but secondly, Tears are a testimony to the brokenness of this world. <clears throat> tears are a testimony to the brokenness of this world. The reason that tears testify to the difficulties of life is because the world in which those lives are lived is broken. You see, there is a mourning, there is a grief that occurs among the people of God over the brokenness that we see in this world. That brokenness manifests itself through the evils that we see in this world. When we see injustice, when we see oppression, when we see 
abuse, that brings grief to our hearts. It causes us to mourn because we live in a broken world. Think back, if you will, to, to September 11th when, when, when those attacks happened, that all of the world grieved because we realized that the world was broken. We knew it, but it taught us anew that the world was broken, and it caused us grief. Or, or when we hear stories or read stories about the innocent who suffer or children who suffer, it causes us grief because we realize how broken the world really is. How do we respond to that <clears throat> brokenness? You see, we're followers of Jesus, and, and following Jesus mandates that we have compassion for people, and that compassion for people produces a sound social conscience so that when we see brokenness impact others, it also impacts us. So as we look at the world in which we live and we see its brokenness, how do we respond? Well, you really only got a couple options. You can go into full-blown despair or again, following the example of David in Psalm 55, you can cry out to God and believe that God hears your voice and he's prepared to provide comfort. Tears are a testimony to the difficulty of life and, and the brokenness of this world. But then that leads us to, to think about this question. Why is life difficult? Why is the world broken? The, the world is broken because it's full of sinners, right? And broken people make a broken world. So that then leads us to our third lesson to learn about the testimony of tears. And, and that is that tears are a testimony as to the seriousness of sin. That the reason the world is broken, <clears throat> the reason there are struggles, is because there is sin. And it's especially and specifically in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, while the words of Jesus, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, while those words are applicable to the difficulties of the world and, and while they're applicable to the brokenness of this world, the specific context of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 is referring to our personal sin. Okay, you hear that? That Jesus is saying Blessed are those who mourn over their sin because I will bring them comfort. Here's how that makes sense. It's when you consider the previous beatitude. If you look back in verse 3, the, the beatitude we saw last week where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked last week about how being poor in spirit means that you come to the realization that before God, you are spiritually bankrupt. That, that sin causes you to be spiritually bankrupt before God. That, that because you're a sinner, you cannot offer to God anything. You have nothing of value to contribute to helping God be God because we are poor in spirit. And that fact that we are poor in spirit, that's the intellectual part. Verse 4 is how we respond to that truth. 
When you come to the realization that you are poor in spirit, when you come to the realization that you are spiritually bankrupt before God because of your sin, it leads you to mourn over that sin that makes you poor in spirit because you know you are spiritually bankrupt. The emotion of grief that God has placed within you mourns that bankruptcy. Make sense? Or maybe Paul can help us understand it. He says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief produces a repentance. There's the blessing. (coughs) That when you are grieved over sin, that when your heart is broken over your sin, that godly grief, that produces a repentance that leads to the hashtag blessed, biggest blessing of all, salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, he says, produces death. You see, godly grief is linked to repentance, and repentance is linked to sin. In fact, the word in Matthew chapter 5, 4 The word that Jesus used for mourn, of those nine verbs that are used in the New Testament, it's the strongest one. It was a word that was reserved for mourning the dead. It's the same word that Jesus used in Mark chapter 16, verse 10, when it was used to describe the weeping of the people who were close to Jesus following his death, that the fact that there was sin that caused the death of Jesus caused them to mourn that Jesus was dead. It should be the same with us when we consider the seriousness of our sin. Do you understand this morning that your sin put Jesus on the cross. That truth should cause you to mourn your sin. Your sin caused the death of the innocent Son of God. If you need a reason to mourn sin, look at the cross. If you need a reason to grieve over your sin, look at the cross. Jesus had to die because of how serious our sin is. Our sin has serious consequences. Sin is powerful wherever it is present, and it has a steep and a costly penalty. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you far more than you want to pay. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, separation from God. We should mourn our sin knowing that such godly grief over our sin will lead us to repentance which will bring about our salvation. Tears are a testimony over the seriousness of sin. But then that leads us into the final testimony. Tears are a testimony to the grace and the goodness of God. The blessed aspect of this beatitude is not in our mourning. The blessing is not the fact that you've mourned. The blessing 
is that when you mourn, you are then comforted. God's response. Those who mourn over their sin will be comforted by God's grace and forgiveness. Listen. If you keep sin bottled up in your life, you will see how ruinous it, it will become. But if you will confess your sin to God, you will experience the comfort that comes through forgiveness. Again, David is a great case study. David committed a sin against Bathsheba, against God, against Bathsheba's husband. In fact, as best I can tell, in David's sin, he broke at least six of the Ten Commandments in the one sin he committed (coughs) against God (coughs) with Bathsheba and Uriah. And in Psalm 51, he writes about how he felt during the time when he was trying to cover that sin up. That that sin was bringing consequences to his life and and he was trying to, to cover up his sin and those consequences, but he couldn't. And if you read through Psalm 51, we won't for time's sake, but if you will read through Psalm 51 sometime, you will see him use words that describe how he felt. It wasn't blessed. He used words like that he was dirty, that he needed to be clean, that he felt like his bones were broken, that there was a lack of joy in his life. David bottled all that sin up and it was bearing down upon him, but he decided to confess it to God. He decided to shed tears over that sin and to turn to the grace and the goodness of God. And when he did that, he wrote these words in Psalm 32 in verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Mourners aren't blessed because they mourn. Mourners are blessed because they are comforted when their sin is forgiven. But if you do not mourn over sin, you do not receive the comfort of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Listen, friend, sin is disastrous. And by the way, this is the good news of this sermon, so act like you're saved, okay? Sin is disastrous. But God's grace is greater. Romans 8, 1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation. There's no reason for us to mourn over our sin if our sin is forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus Let me tell you the comfort this brings as preacher. You see, in Christ, I am promised deliverance from the penalty of my sin. Oh, I was once dead in my trespasses and sins. I merited nothing from God but separation, eternal death. But Jesus Christ came to step between the wrath of God against sin on the one hand and all who trust in Jesus Christ on the other hand. Jesus Christ took the blow of God's wrath upon himself, paying the full penalty for my sin. And God placed the full right 
righteousness of Christ to my account so that now, even though I'm not perfect, God sees me as perfectly acceptable before God in Jesus Christ. That results in unspeakable joy because in Christ, I promised deliverance from this penalty of sin. I mourned my sin and God gave me that comfort. But in Christ, I'm promised not just deliverance from the penalty of sin, I'm promised deliverance from the power of sin. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you do not have to be enslaved to your sin. In fact, I will go so far as to say this based on the Word of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you're still enslaved to sin, it is your choice to be enslaved to sin. You have chosen to stay enslaved to that sin because when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. And the testimony of tears of of the grace and the goodness of God is that it promises us deliverance from the, the power of sin. As a follower of Jesus, Jesus lives in you through his Holy Spirit. You are united in him, and that unity with Christ makes it possible to live a victorious life. I've been given a promise that I've been delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and I've also received a promise from God that one day I'll be delivered from the presence of sin. You see, that the, there's an aspect of God's kingdom that is here and now, but there's also an aspect of God's kingdom that is yet to come. Listen, we are promised that a day is coming in which the grace and the goodness of God will forever eradicate the presence of sin and all of its consequences and power from us forever. A day is coming in which we will be taken from this world into the presence of Jesus, and in that day, there will be no more sin to confess, and we will know that those who mourned for their sin have been truly comforted. What a great testimony our tears have. When you mourn over your sin, those tears of mourning become tears of joy as the grace and goodness of God wash over your life. Hashtag blessed are those whose tears fall from their faces, for they will be comforted by the great comforter. And just, just as our tears provide a testimony today, the Bible has one more thing to say about tears in the future, that they're all going to be wiped away. Amen. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away that's the day that we are headed toward that's the day best be careful we tackle the last person came up here like that 
that's the day for which we long. But until that day arrives, until we get to that day, ask God to use your tears as a testimony. Whether you have shed them over the difficulties of life, the brokenness of the world, the seriousness of sin, or the grace and the goodness of God. Know that when you mourn, you shall be comforted. Before Jesus left this world, sometimes it's dangerous to say things that just come to my mind and my spirit when they come to it, but I'm going to, right? I didn't plan on this part. This is overtime for free. When Jesus prepared to leave this world, his disciples were distraught. They were no doubt shedding tears. And Jesus told them that he was going to send them another comforter, helper. The Greek word is paraclete. The comforter, the Holy Spirit who would abide with them forever while they're on this earth. My encouragement, my word to you this morning is that when you go through times of mourning, regardless of what causes it, rest and rely upon the Holy Spirit that God has placed within you. Part of his job is to comfort those who mourn. And he will be faithful to do that as we rely upon him until the day we see our Savior face to face and he wipes all of those tears away. If you know Jesus this morning, you have that Holy Spirit. If you have a relationship with Jesus today, blessed are you when you mourn for you shall be comforted. Comfort does not mean that the situation all of a sudden is gone or it's better. Comfort means that you're not alone. That the Holy Spirit is with you. That the Word of God will speak hope to you. And the Holy Spirit of God will give help to you. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, my counsel to you my plea to you is to rely upon that Holy Spirit. Because whatever is over your head is still under God's feet. But I want to speak to you who may be here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Until you mourn the seriousness of your sin. You will not experience the comfort of your salvation. There is in eternity a place where God will wipe away every tear from those who trust him as Savior from their face. But there's also a place that Scripture says is reserved for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And one of the characteristics of that place is a constant, continual weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. 
you need to be uncomfortable if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you can leave here today comforted. If you will confess your sin to God, spiritually in your heart, mourn over that sin and ask God for his grace and his goodness and his mercy. So in just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. <coughs> this is a time in which you can make any commitment you need to make to Jesus. But if you're here today and you've never placed faith in Jesus and you don't know what it's like to have the comfort that is experienced when God forgives your sin, as I pray, would you just cry out to God right where you are as best you can and as best you know how. Confess your sin to God and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Father God, I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, which makes it possible that when we mourn, that we can be blessed because we can be comforted. For those of us in this room today who have made a decision, whether it was a week ago or a year ago or 10 years ago or longer, to put our faith in you, I pray that we would rely upon that Holy Spirit to bring us comfort. And I especially pray today for those in this room or those who are listening to us online right now or in the future. And there's never been a time when they bowed their heart before you and confessed their sin, repented of it, and asked you to be their Lord and Savior. They have no comfort of their soul today. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit, as he does his other work of conviction, would draw those who don't know you to the point to where they're ready to receive you. And they would cry out for your mercy and comfort today. There is nothing as comforting as knowing that our sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. I pray that we'll all leave this place today in that state of blessedness. Have your will and your way with us as we stand and sing during this time of commitment. Thank you.